Well, church, um, today is a great day. If you've been with us, a couple things are going on. Uh, One is we kicked off a three-week fast on January 9th, and today we are breaking that fast together. And when I say fast, again, if you haven't been with us, what we kind of invited people into was a three-week fast that is in uh, conjunction with many other Antioch churches around the U.S. and around the world that we kind of all felt together, hey, let's invite everybody in to do a three-week fast as we kick off 2022 and specifically seeking God on, Lord, we want to create a place uh, uh, of, of deeper hunger. Lord, we want freedom. We want power. So really done this fast, many people have been praying all over the world saying, God, make us hungry again for you, for your presence, for the things of the spirit. Make us hungry for the word. Make us hungry for the church. Lord, make us hungry for everything that you're at the center of. Lord, create that deep hunger in us as we fast. Lord, let there be freedom. Let freedom reign. And many words leading up to this, this year being likened to a year of jubilee. And that, that, uh, that this is a year where there are debts are forgiven, that, that forgiveness that may have been there for years has been released, that there's no more indebtedness, and that, there, uh, that we have clean hearts with the people of God moving forward, not being tethered or chained to the past, but are really allowing people off the hook. Say, Jesus, I forgive them, I let them go, seeking forgiveness where we need to, but this would be a year of freedom for us. And then also just power. Spirit of God, come in power. Just in the days of Pentecost, in the New Testament, when the book of Acts was flung wide open and churches are being planted and people are being healed and people are being saved and people were evangelizing and, and planting churches and making disciples and where miracles were being done again and where people were, were literally having their hearts transformed in a day. God, we want that kind of power, uh, not just the man-centered step-by-step process. We want the Spirit of God Wow, ah, ha, ha, moment, where it says, wow, that was God, that was crazy, I can't believe that happened, that's impossible, that's what we want. We want more of the stories where someone shares and says, that's impossible, and then we say, yes, but all things are possible with God, that we are people relinquishing control, relinquishing our rights, saying, God, you're in control, God, you have every right, so let us surrender to you, so to be a people of hunger, freedom, and power. And so as we end that today, we're going to end the service today by taking communion here in just a little bit together corporately. And uh, that'll be powerful as we do that today to break our fast. But today we thought that we um, would end this fast actually, and here in the month of January, that we would unveil to you the vision statement for this church. Now, when I say that, some of you guys are like, wait, we didn't already have one? It's like, no, we didn't have one. We've had a mission statement for years, which you see on that wall when you walk in, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but we have had a mission statement. We've had some core basic values we've lived by as a church that's helped us filter through decisions and how we go about doing things. Um, in many ways, it's been, it's been uh, clarifying for us to then clarify again, Lord, who are we as a people, and what are you calling us to do as a church? We know what the scripture says about the church and breaking that down, but we wanted to put it into context and to personalize it for us to say, God, would you give us some clarifying language that we can rally around as a people as we move forward? So that's what we've been working on as a team. And today I'm going to take a few minutes just to read to you 
a document that we've been working on. I could summarize it, but I'd leave things out. So I decided not to do that. So today I'm going to read to you a little bit more, and um, we'll have some scripture references up on the screen during different parts of it. But we're going to read, I'm going to read it to you today because I want you just to let it soak in in terms of what, what, is, what is welling up in us as a people, what God is stirring, what he is speaking. And about two-thirds of this is just scripture. That's really all it is. It's just pulling scriptures and putting them into a framework that makes sense, kind of rallying around this vision statement. Does that sound good? All right, and just so you know, the reason why we're having a vision statement is because, you know, as a church, we have to be really clear, not on just who we are, um, but also on where we're going and why we're going there, right? So when you think about vision, you can simply put it this way. Um, uh, Vision is really identifying, like, the preferred future for an organization or for a people. So the vision is, is kind of forecasting, hey, this is where we are wanting to go, and the mission that is going to help us, hey, this is going to help us explain and help us detail on how we're going to be getting there. And then we break it down into our core values and culture as a church. And the reason why this is really important, because we've been taking the last year with God spoke um, back last January, hey, this year needs to be a year of alignment for you at Antioch. We need to be aligning the people of God again to my plans and purposes. We need to be aligning what we do as a church and as a staff and a culture in terms of systems and processes and trainings. And we're not done yet, but we've been diligently working on those pieces to get really clear again so that we can, um, so that we can do what God's asked us to do instead of feeling like we're pulled in every which way. So we want to be like one body in a sense, right? The church, Jesus being the head, but we're all going the same direction versus the right hand wanting to go over here and the left hand doing this, right? And then we kind of feel awkward. Can you imagine just your body, like your right foot wants to go and your left wants to go backwards? That'd be a funny person to look at, you know? And they just, they like can't move. And so when you're not going the same direction as a body, you feel stuck. You feel frozen. So we actually want to, we want to be on the move. We want to have forward movement with the Lord. We want to be advancing, not going backwards. We want to be moving forward with him on the mission with him. So that's why we have put together this vision statement. All right, you guys ready? Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. You know, I was thinking about it though, I was like in the old days, <laughs> preachers, preachers just read their sermons. Do you ever know that? I was like, man, that'd be so much easier. You know what I'm saying? Like in the old days, like they get up there. I mean, you, I'm talking about, you know, like, like the John Wesleys and the George Whitfields and these guys. You're like incredible. I was like, well, yeah, they took 30 hours to write this and then they got to read it from the congregation. You know, nowadays I did that. You guys are like, hey, he's cheating. He's looking at his notes. You know, politicians look at teleprompters. None of them actually just share from their hearts. So I'm just saying it's a discipline to get up here and talk. But today, hey. Today, I'm going old school. All right, we're going to go back 1800s. I'm just going to read it to you. Does that sound good? All right, sounds like a win. If you don't like it, come out next Sunday. We won't be reading anything, all right? Be good. All right, here we go. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so here we go. Our mission statement is out on that wall. If you haven't seen it, if you ever looked, it's a big gray box with white words. If you can't see it, I can't help you, but it's there, okay? It says, to make disciples of Jesus who transform towns and nations, okay? Now, if you're wondering, hey, I've heard that somewhere before, I'll tell you who said it. Jesus said it in Matthew 28. More or less, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? 
teaching them, right? Baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and behold, I'll be with you always. So we just kind of hijacked what Jesus said, shortened it a little bit, didn't put the verse reference, and made our mission statement. So we figured if it's Jesus' mission statement, it should probably be ours since he's the head of the church. Now, I want to be clear with something here. We're going to unpack the vision statement. I just want to say something, though. If you ever wondered, okay, what is this about? We want making disciples to be at our core. I'm not saying we're perfect at it. We've got lots of problems with it. Over the years, we've been, we feel like we're doing really good with making disciples. Other years, you're like, are we making any disciples, you know? So it's been a bit of a journey, but we're not moving away from discipleship. We, if someone says, what kind of church is Antioch? You can say, we're a discipleship-based church. We're a Bible-believing church. We are a spirit-filled people church. We are a missional church. These are kind of some taglines you can use with their friends. They're like, Antioch, what are they against? We're not against anything. It's a city in the book of Acts where amazing things were happening, and Paul was making disciples. They were being sent out around Asia Minor to go plant churches. That's Antioch, okay? So that's who we are. But we are here to make disciples of Jesus. You know why that's good? Because it helps us filter through everything that we do. There's lots of ministry opportunities that come our way. Ideas you may have. Organizations say, hey, will you partner with us? And we have to scratch our heads and say, hold on. Is that in alignment with our mission statement? Is there an opportunity to make disciples with that? If there's not, that's probably not going to be for us. That can be for someone else. But that's us. So we kind of filter three things through. Can we make disciples, right? And then transforming towns and nations. We don't want to just make a disciple. We want that person to be transformed by the power of God, by the word of God, filled with the spirit of God, and then go forth and walk into the destiny of whatever that is. Being a, a mom, a dad, owning a company, being the best employee of the month, or traveling around the world, or being a missionary, it doesn't really matter. It's more about stepping into the calling of God in your life. We want to help you do that as you go about transforming towns and nations. We're not just interested in you just transforming or helping just your family. We want to start there, but it needs to go beyond that, yeah. right? We've got to be concerned for towns and nations. I've always said, listen, Texas A&M probably has somebody from every town in Texas at that campus right now. And I don't know if many other schools can say that, but we have literally representation, I believe probably from every single high school in the state of Texas. Think about that. Even the ones that some of you guys went to is like, well, there's just five of us that graduated. Yeah, and you're here, right? And so, you know what I'm saying? From homeschool to private school to public school, it's like, they are here. God has brought them to this town. Many of them go to school here. Many of you go to school and you move on, but some stay. But either way, we have an opportunity to, to impact every town in Texas. If you think in terms of they come here, they get discipled, trained, encouraged, and then they're able to go out. That's the heart. Does it make sense? That's why we're invested in college students. Okay, it's not for your money. If you didn't figure that out yet. It's nothing to do with that, obviously. What it has to do with is your passion, your zeal, the, things, the, the fact that you're soaking up stuff in life right now. And we want you to soak up more of Jesus. And we want you to get that in your system, in your DNA, so that when you go leave, when you go take that job, when you start that company, when you do this, when you go back home at Christmas, you're bringing the fire back home. And you're like, man, I've got Jesus with me and a degree. It's, it's both and. That's what we want you to have, okay? So don't quit on degrees. Get Jesus and the degree, okay? <clears throat> that's towns, nations. Jesus didn't come just to win back the Jews. He came for the Jews and Gentiles. He came for everybody. I'm a Gentile. 
pretty sure I'm a Gentile. Look, the family tree. I don't, that's where I am. He came back for people like me, for my ancestors. He came back for people all over the world of every skin color, every race, every dialect. That's why we know in Matthew 24, 14, the end will come once every tribe, tongue, and nation has been reached. That's why Stoker is going to go to the Arab Gulf. Because the nations are there, and he wants to be able to touch them, reach them. Who knows? Someone comes in for a weekend visit. Stoker shares the gospel with them. They go back to their home little town. They share Jesus, and things start happening. That is what we are doing, right? But Stoker's been transformed through discipleship, and therefore now he's going to get on a plane, go move somewhere so he can be part of transforming others and the nations he wouldn't have no opportunity to connect with unless he goes there. So it is both in. It is, if you're here, man, we are making disciples transform towns and nations. And if you get on a plane and go somewhere, the same thing. If you go move to Dallas and take that big dollar job because we don't have it here, then go make disciples. Do not move just for a job. Move because you can go impact that community and get paid for it. It's a both and, right? Do not have a narrow vision of just this life only. Have a big vision that says, God, I will go and wherever I go, I will plant myself in that church and any out church or another church or start a church, whatever you're going to do, but be a local church person that's going to impact the community, transform that area and say, man, I've got a mission. I'm not just some boring accountant or financial planner. I've got a fire in me that I'm doing accounting with the spirit and the, and the clients I interact with, they are getting rocked, right? And my, and, and the skills I have is above and beyond and they keep inviting me to the table this thing I know, I'm representing this, representing that. You've got to have a bigger vision than just a small, eke out, narrow life. That's not what Jesus made you for. He made you for more. That's what we want you to get here at Antioch. You're made for more. You're made to make disciples, whether it's five or 5,000. And you're made to transform things because the Spirit of God in you is able to transform wow. anything He touches. Amen. But you've got to believe it, and you've got to take ownership of it, and you've got to quit messing around and get serious about your walk with Christ, because tomorrow could be your day, or it could be when you're 80, but you might as well live as if today's your last. I say, Lord, if today's my last day, how do I want to live it? What do I want to do? Approach life like that. Life's no longer boring, and you'll probably stop being depressed. All right, here we go. Here we go. We're talking about the vision statement now. Now we're going to read it. All right, here we go. That's the mission. I just want to make sure you're clear. There is thought behind the mission. You are part of it. If this is your first time in Antioch. We're so glad you're here. Jump on with the mission statement. Here we go. Here's the vision statement we've come up with. You ready? Yeah. To present to Christ a radiant church ready for his return. Whoa. To present to Christ a radiant church ready for his return. Now, I'm going to be breaking this down pretty thoroughly. So here we go. Often in the Gospels, Jesus would share parable after parable in reference to the future kingdom of God and his second coming. Jesus was undoubtedly a matchless teacher, and in his wisdom, he saw it wise to not only teach on what his disciples were to do and how they were to do it, but also why they were to do it. This was passed on to the apostles who would also write about it in their letters. What we learn from them is this. Christ was preparing a people to be his bride, the church, and he wanted them ready for when he would return to establish his kingdom on earth forevermore. So let's talk about his return. The Old Testament saints, prophets, New Testament apostles, and Jesus himself repeatedly emphasized a day in which God's kingdom would reign on the earth 
with Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Not only would the Messiah come as a sacrificial lamb and offer forgiveness of sins through his death on the cross, but he would also return as a conquering lion to reign and rule for all eternity. Therefore, having in mind his return seemed vital to set before us, reminding us that we are not just living for today, but living for that day in which he comes again. And the mortal puts on immortality. The perishable puts on the imperishable. And death is swallowed up in victory. If the parables and teachings of Jesus and the apostles were not enough to convince us of this reality, Jesus repeats himself to make it abundantly clear that he is coming again. He says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Yes, I'm coming quickly. Let's talk about ready. What does it mean to be ready? In view of his coming return, disciples of Jesus are called upon not just to know and be aware of this, but to be ready. Ready like the wise virgins who had their lamps trimmed and oil stored. Ready like the faithful servant put in charge of his master's household. Ready to open the door when he knocks. Not sleeping, but alert. Knowing he is coming doesn't necessarily make you ready, but actively preparing yourself does. Like a bride preparing for a wedding is the people of God, his church, to prepare herself for his coming. Everyone who has the hope of his coming purifies themselves and makes sure they are ready to give an account for their life. This opens us up for constant sanctification from the Holy Spirit. As we are always growing and maturing in our walk with the Lord, even the Apostle Paul later in his ministry admitted that though he was ready to depart and be with Christ, he had not yet attained or become perfect, yet pressed on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. We must follow in his example and continue to make ourselves ready all the days of our lives by pressing on to perfection in every area of our lives. Then we will be ready and confident on the day of his coming without blemish, holy and blameless. The church. Jesus is not coming back for organizations, denominations, or just individual people. He's coming back for his church. And time and time again, the scriptures reveal to us that the church is to be the body of Christ with Jesus as our head. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to be one body. Not only that, but a mature body built together in love. This can only be accomplished through genuine and authentic relationships created within the local church. And when the church functions together in unity as one body, each member playing their part in fellowship with the other members, the gates of hell will not prevail against what God can accomplish through the church. The church is not a building nor an organization. It's a local community of disciples fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Radiant. If we are convinced Jesus is coming back for his body, 
the church, then we must ask the question, what kind of body? The answer is given to us clearly in the word of God, a holy, blameless, spotless body that appears as light in the world amid a dark and crooked generation. Jesus taught that his disciples would be the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, a lampstand that gives light to all. We are to shine forth the glory of God in every area of our lives. Like the sun radiates light for all to see, we too must radiate God's glory for all to see. As the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, allowing us to see the exact representation of his nature. Jesus himself said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. A radiant church looks just like Jesus, full of light, flowing with life. And this can only be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. A radiant church is a spirit-filled and spirit-led church filled with abundant life. Present to Christ. Even in the very beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden, when God walked in the cool of the day with man, he saw fit to give mankind a purpose. In paradise, Adam was to cultivate and keep the garden. As humans, we must have a purpose in life. And as a local church, we also must have one single purpose that we can rally behind. And we want to hear, at the end of it all, well done, good and faithful servant for being faithful with the talents we have been given. As ministers of the gospel and as disciples of Christ, we have work to do. We want to present our lives before God as pure and righteous. We want to present the work of our hands as a wise master builder would. Not with wood, hay, and straw, but with gold, silver, Precious stone so that it's revealed by fire one day. Finally, we must acknowledge who it is that we are presenting our lives and all we have done to. It is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Master, the one who was, is, and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We know that we will not stand before some earthly king or worldly government whose wisdom and knowledge only spans the breath of their small life, but rather we will stand before the Ancient of Days, the judge of the living and the dead, Almighty God himself. He is the Lamb of God by which all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have the first place in everything. May Christ be glorified forever and ever. Amen. 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 Hopefully those words soak in, and it gives you more context behind the statement. Our heart is to be a people that are aligning ourselves with the word of God, with the mission of God, and really the vision. 
And we believe that this vision statement will be in many ways our North Star as a church. That from there we will be able to build out ministries and values and culture that allows us as a people to be helped when we feel like we're getting a bit off. We say, hey man, this is who we are again. This is what we're doing. That's what we're desiring. And so we unpacked it there and we're 90% there on the language of that, what I just read to you and are gonna be inviting some of you in just to help us with some of the finalization of it. But we want you to know that it is scripture heavy on purpose. <laughs> we're not just wanting a cool, a, fun, a bunch of fun words that sound good. We wanna know, Lord, what have you already said about your church? And it's taken a while to extract that and put together some thoughts and say, okay, this feels right. This seems right for us as a people. This isn't for everybody, but we feel confident that if we hold on to this, it'll help us in everything else. Because again, if you know who you are and where you're going and why you're going there, you can rally around that. So simply put, where do we go from here? Um, we are gonna be unpacking this um, over the months to come. We're gonna be doing a series coming up that's gonna tie into some of this vision statement as well. That's gonna help bolster us and give us that confidence uh, that this is who we are, it's what God's calling us to be. But I want you to kind of simmer on this. I want you to take this in. I want you to, to kind of digest it in a sense and say, okay, Lord, what does this mean for me? Because this is not just a vision statement for Antioch Community Church. Our desire is this a vision statement that you internalize and personalize. Do you say, hey, this is for me and my house. Like, this is how I want to live. Our goal was actually, you could take this vision statement and if you were here or if you went elsewhere in this world and carry it with you as, as something that's gonna motivate you, stir you, keep you clear, keep you going true north, so to speak, when things get tough to say, wait, this is what my life's about. It's about presenting to Christ a radiant church, presenting to Christ a radiant believer who is part of the church ready for his return. That, man, that's what motivates me. So when I get off, it's not about people catching me or someone saying this. It's about, I'm accountable to Jesus Christ. And if he's your main accountability partner, then that's a clear life. That's a pure life. That's a sanctified life. Because he's in the business of sanctifying. Do you know that? And he sent the Holy Spirit so we never forget. You can't really go a day without him being like, hey, bud. You know, a little elbow from the Spirit. Yeah, okay. You know what I'm saying? You can't just wait around once a week for discipleship for that life group to call you out. The Spirit of God is daily. It's morning. It's night. It's moment to moment. That's the sanctified life. And when you live with this in mind, wow, every day at the office matters. Every day I go to campus and take notes from a professor matters. Every time I skip class, that matters. Every time I don't pay my taxes, that matters. Every time I don't do this or release forgiveness, it matters. Also now, all of life matters. Not from a fearful place, but from a motivating place. Yes. Motivated by love, mm -hmm. right? For God so loved the world, he sent his son. Jesus came and established this mission and this vision in many ways, motivated by love. That's what he came. We as a church will be motivated by the same thing, amen? So here's how we're gonna end today. Um, I want you to stand, invite the band on up. We're gonna take communion as we break this fast together and to really kind of solidify that this day, just remember that we unveiled a vision statement for us, a church, and we, we want 
we want you to be able to take it in and in and, the months to come, we'll get this document out to you and post it on our website and help give clarifying language. Even for you as you're sharing with friends or others, but for yourself, say, man, what is it that my church is really about? And we'll be able to have this clarifying language about our vision and where we're going and what we're about. And it just helps us be aligned on the same page versus disconnected. So here's where we're gonna end. Um, we've got communion tables they're going to be up here in the front. We've got three in the front, I believe, and three in the back. Um, our ushers are going to come down just a minute. They're going to kind of dismiss you kind of in groups. And more or less, I think the, the front half of your section is going to go forward. The back half will go to the back to grab it. And just want you to grab the elements and then go back to your seat. And we're going to take communion together here in just a moment. So I'm just going to have the band playing for a few minutes. But, but as you go and take the bread and the cup, we've got juice and, and wine available, I think, for whatever you want to do. And as you go and take that back to your seat, just hold on to it and we'll do it together. But I want you just to take a moment and do two things and just say, Lord, first of all, is there anything I need to confess, Lord, to you? We always want to take communion with a clean heart. And so before you take the bread and the cup, the scriptures speak pretty clearly to this, that we want to have a clean heart. So just, Lord, anyone need to forgive? And they need to confess. And just between you and him. And then the second thing I want you to do is just to take that vision statement. Maybe we can just put it up here just for a minute. And just kind of go over it in your mind. And just say, Lord, reveal to me kind of your heart in this. God, how can I be a part of this? God, just start praying it in. Say, Lord, what do I feel about that? God, kind of speak to me about this. About anything I shared or anything else that the Lord's bringing to mind. And kind of let that simmer and sit for a minute. And then we'll take communion together. Amen. All right, so ushers, let you guys do your thing. And um, again, just take the bread and the cup, head back to your seat, and then we'll do, take it together in a few minutes.
just a tradition or a ritual. The communion has such deep meaning. You know, the night Jesus was arrested, he was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And he was there and, and in this room and he sat down with them. And it was such a sobering moment you can imagine. And he takes this piece of bread and he breaks it and he says to the disciples, this is my body broken for you. And some of them could register maybe with what he was saying, but weren't fully there and indicating his body's about to be broken. He's about to die on the cross, but be crushed for our iniquities, for our sin. Then he took a, a cup of wine and took it and he held it up and he said, this wine represents my blood. My blood will be poured out for you. So when you drink of the cup, when you take of the bread, do this in remembrance of me. Paul later on reiterates this idea of us 
taking communion together, the Lord's Supper together. And that when we take it, that it is symbolic, but it is meant for us to remember what Christ did. It is the gospel in our hands. <laughs> it's Jesus Christ died who didn't deserve death on our behalf so that we could be forgiven of our sins, not his. And that his blood was poured out. Throughout the Old Testament, there was no sacrifice if there was not a spilling of blood. Like literally the animal sacrifices had to include the shedding of blood in order for there to be payment, atonement, those sins. So Jesus shed his blood, his body's broken. So when we take this, we do it in remembrance of him and what he's done for us. So let's do that now, let's take of the bread. Take of the cup. Lord Jesus, we say thank you for making a way for us. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for living a perfect, sinless life. We owe our lives to you. You didn't just die, but you resurrected from the dead. You proved yourself to be the true one and only King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Son of God, the true Messiah, the Savior of the world, to take your rightful title as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So Lord, we ask for your help that we would be able to follow you all the days of our life, that we would not live our days forgetting what you've done for us, that you've made a way for us. So Lord, we pray you deepen our commitment, deepen our conviction, our resolve to know nothing but Christ, <laughs> that you are the focal point for the rest of our lives. Everything else is secondary. They matter, but not as much as you. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the endurance during this fast, whatever it looks like from media to lifestyle to food and drink. Lord, we just say thank you for sustaining us even we thought it wasn't possible. And God, we pray that the space that we created for you, that would not go away. That would now be part of us, part of our lives. We pray. Lord, we thank you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we close and worship this morning.